0: We are going to dive into the Word of God. If you have a Bible, take that out. You're going to keep that on your lap till the very end because we're going to have most of it on the screen. But if you need a little head start, it is Matthew chapter 9, verse 32. That is a story that we are going to close with. It's Matthew nine, thirty-two. We are in part 36 of our Being Jesus series, apparently the series that will never end. I have no idea how many parts it is. You can be like, Lance, so how long is this going to go? I don't know. I don't know, could go as long as Jesus returns, I have no idea. (laughs) However, it's 36 today, so I entitled today's message, Jesus Almighty. And I want to begin with a concept that if you can lock it down, it's going to help make sense of your world. And what I want to answer is, why is it that we are taught that Jesus is king and on the throne, but everything's still so messed up, right? I mean, that's really the frustrating part of our world. Why does it seem like the enemy is still thriving and still moving forward? Why does it seem like sometimes the church gets stopped and shut down? And I want to use the concept that I ripped off from somebody else and then I ripped something else off from somebody else and I put it together and made it my own. And that is the concept of we are in the tension of the kingdom now but not yet. We are in the kingdom of now but not yet. And what I mean by that, is that we are in process. We are in the midst of. We are in the messy part, right? And that causes a lot of concern for us, especially those of us that love clean-cut categories. We're black and white thinkers, perhaps. You may want to say, well, is it good or is it bad? And you go, well, kind of, and that frustrates you, right? So what I mean is simply this. We'll go through a real quick kind of history lesson and see if we can't make this point. It began with God creating the world as He wanted it. And when He got done creating, He said it was very good and it was all erupting with praise. The trees were glorifying God. The mountains were glorifying God. Everything was as He wanted it and it was all directed towards worshiping the Lord. Well, then He said, hey kids... I would like you to take my beautiful creation and I want you to manage it for me. I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to step out a little bit and I'm going to let you guys kind of care for what I built. It's almost like here is my stunning Maserati. Here are the keys. Try not to crash it. Well, sure enough, what do we do? We crashed it, right? Right off the bat, we can only go a little while, and then sure enough, not only did we crash it by our sin, but we then handed the keys over to Satan. Hey, maybe you want to drive. We didn't do so hot. We hand it over to Satan, and for thousands of years, Satan is setting up his kingdoms all over the place because we keep giving him room and territory. Everywhere he wanted to go, he's like, hey, this Babylon idea sounds good. We gave him full access, and he's building up his kingdom, locking it down with gates, and suddenly the world seems kind of taken over. Well, at some point, God said, all right, we're going to change this. So Jesus Christ comes walking in. And he said, alright, here's what we're going to do. I am going to defeat the enemy. In one act, the cross, he snaps the neck of the enemy, breaks his ultimate hold, proclaims his victory... And then says, I'm going to step away again. This time when I step away, kids, I'm going to give you the keys again. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, right? It says, and upon myself, upon my word, through my church, through the power of the Holy Spirit, the gates of hell will not prevail. Why? Because we have the keys to the kingdom that correspond to the gates of the enemy. So our job was then to take his kingdom and continue to press it in with his power. Because Jesus was now going to make the enemy super nervous. He was going to shove in the kingdom of God and start demolishing strongholds. So, are we going to do it? Are we ultimately going to make everything perfect in utopia here? Actually, we're not. Why? Well, there's a variety of reasons why that could be. I'm just going to tell you it ain't going to happen. Because here's why. Jesus is going to come back and clean up. We know that at his return, he's going to say, Kids, well done. You guys did fantastic. That's awesome. However, I need to clean up the rest. So he's going to come in, guns blazing, shut down everything, and launch us into the new heavens and new earth. That's the big picture, right? But we're not there yet, we're in the middle. We're in the messy part. So we're still seeing strongholds. We're still seeing fights and pressure. And we keep going, is God on the throne? No, 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 no. God's on the throne. Jesus Christ, after he died and rose again, sat at the right hand of the Father. And he says he'll be sitting there until the Father puts all things under his feet. Oh, we're getting there. God is pressing in. And at some point, he's going to snap and just go ahead and just level the place. Take out the enemy, wipe away every tear and go, kids, we're good. Right? We know that. But right now, it sure doesn't seem like everything's going as God wants it. And that's because everything's not going as God wants it. Right? I mean, it is frustrating. It's supposed to be frustrating. There's things that are supposed to cause questions. There's bad things that happen to good people. There's wrestling. Why? Because we're in a kingdom now, but not yet. Oh, God is pressing in, and wherever He is praised and glorified and things are where and how He wants them, that kingdom of God is present there. You understand what I'm saying? What does this mean? What it means to me, at least, is that the Father will bring submission. All knees will bow. The Bible's clear on that. Therefore, the -the fill-in-the-blank must be burned into your mind if you have one of those in front of you. The -the fill-in-the-blank is this. Everything and everyone submits to God. Everything and everyone submits to God. There is no authority over our God. There is no authority over King Jesus. He is the king of all creation. Well, what that means for the enemy is that makes the enemy nervous. Because at any time, renegade Jesus can show up and wreck his world. And we always think about the power of the enemy and the power of darkness and and it's trying to move around. You're right, it's trying to do that. The the thing is, Jesus is one step ahead all the time. Jesus is always stronger and when he shows up, demons get super nervous. They know who he is. The Bible drops out three, at least, stories about authority. And I want to share those stories with you today. We're going to talk about him calming a storm. We're going to talk about a demon-possessed man that is healed. We're going to talk about a mute demon-possessed man that is healed. So let's go ahead and dive right into it. The first two stories will be a combination of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John does not record these, so let's throw the first passage up on the screen. It begins with this. On that day, what day? Well, if we follow Mark's chronology... Jesus has been teaching all day long doing parable stuff. Now I know how wiped out I get after two services on a day. This guy's been going all day long and he was in such a big crowd that he got into a boat and backed up. Why? Because water is a beautiful conduit of sound. Everyone could hear him and not everybody was, you know, blocking each other out. So he's been sitting there telling parables all day long, pouring out his heart. On that day when evening had come, he got into a boat with his disciples. What kind of boat? We don't know. The word for boat here is boat. We have no <laughs> idea. Now, it could have been a boat with sails. It was probably a rowboat. It's probably more of a fishing rowboat. And Normally, that is going to take about two hours to get from one side to the other. So they hop into a boat, and Jesus the carpenter is going to leave it to the fishermen sailors to get him to the other side. Let's see how that goes. He got into the boat with his disciples. He said to them, let us go across to the other side of the lake. He wants to go to the eastern side. The western side is the Jewish side. The eastern side is the Gentile side. That's the quieter side. There's not big cities. That's the side that is kind of left alone. That's a little bit more agriculture. So the disciples are going, finally, we've been ministering all day. It's late at night. i got to grab a bite to eat. we got to bail and just rest up, right? Well... As, and leaving the crowd, they took him with him in the boat, just as he was. And other boats were with him. Now, some of you remember this story. All right? Uh, just a real quick show of hands. How many of you are familiar with the story where he calms a storm? Raise your hand. All right. What happened to the other boats? Do you ever think about that? He was not alone. But every time you see the painting, he's alone. There's always one boat. Why is there one boat? There was actually multiple boats. A real quick side note for you that know this story, is it possible this storm ended up being a sifting process because by the time they get to the other side, there's one boat. So there was a bunch of people that wanted to hang out with him and crowd around, but Jesus wanted some time alone. I wonder whether or not Jesus allowed some of this stuff to go, and you'll stay home. (laughs) So they set out, and as they sailed, he fell asleep. All right, let me share with you a little bit about the Sea of Galilee. I got some photos. If we could just throw some of those up there. I've been there. And as a matter of fact, it is a lot like Folsom Lake. When we talk about the sea, let's not get any crazy notions. As a matter of fact, the Sea of Galilee is 15 miles wide and 8 miles long. It's not that huge. Folsom Lake actually is 10 miles wide, and up the forks are 13 and 15 miles. So if you cut out the land in the middle of them, that's the Sea of Galilee it's not that huge you can see the other side but sometimes it's hard to see depending on where you're standing so we can go ahead and just flip through some of these things we got a chance this is looking over where jesus was going i don't think the restaurant was there when he was there (laughs) however you kind of get an idea and you can just keep flipping through those pictures the edges are reeds and there are just massive catfish looking devil fish And how do I know that? We baptized there in the Sea of Galilee. Now, how cool is it to get baptized in the Sea of Galilee, right? That's as cool as being baptized in the Jordan River like Jesus. However, what we noticed was huge, dark animals under the water and so some people are like that's cool i'm gonna pass right as awesome as it is to get baptized in the sea of galilee being swallowed by a jonah type fish is not on their agenda so what we did is we had chase away fish guy okay chase away fish guy literally before we would baptize he would go in the water and go ah, and scare and you could see these big like submarines moving away you know it was, And then people are like, all right, now I'll go in. So we did baptisms there, and it was just, it's a beautiful scene. It took us maybe about, with an engine, 35 minutes maybe to get to the other side. But when you're rowing, it's a lot longer. But it's about a two-hour journey. So Jesus is thinking, I got at least two hours. I'm out, right? So he falls asleep. And behold, seriously, check this out. Come on, you all know what this is, right? I haven't been gone that long. Alright, behold in the Bible means seriously, check this out, it means something weird is about to be said, something unusual is about to be commented on, so pay close attention after the word behold. It says, and behold, a great windstorm arose and came down on the sea or lake, and the waves were breaking into the boat, the boat was filling with water, being swamped by the waves, and they were in danger, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. What? Alright, first of all, let's get a grip on this storm thing. The Bible says they're in danger. The word used for swamping the boat is "quote." The boat was hidden in the waves. Okay, that's some serious waves. I don't know what kind of storm has to hit Folsom Lake to be able to drop a boat in a trough, but that's pretty impressive. It's so impressive that the word used to describe the storm is "seismos." Do you know where you hear the word "seismic"? Where do you hear from? Earthquakes. This is not a normal storm. This is not like, oh, it's breezy. This is, we're all going to die, right? This furious squall, this crazy storm comes ripping in there. Now, was it supernatural? I don't know. We'll talk about that in a moment. Was it just a regular terrible storm? I don't know, but I can tell you this. Storms are common between May and October in this place, and here's why. Mountains in the surrounding area reach in excess of 9,000 feet in elevation. The Sea of Galilee is 650 feet below sea level. That's a huge change. What happens is the wind comes screaming down the mountains and there's a big cleft or a funnel of mountains right before it breaks on the Sea of Galilee. The wind picks up, it builds up, it starts building as it goes through. Once it hits clean water, it just launches out with ferocity and the storms will come out of nowhere. So that's not unusual, but the size of this was seriously unusual now what was he laying on well he was in the place of honor you're up in the stern you're semi-protected from the waves you got a little place covering you and he's like i gotta go to bed how did jesus get to sleep and stay asleep okay real quick show of hands again how many of you are dead to the world sleeping people all right fantastic the rest of you are all deemed princess and the pea people All right, there are some of us that when we sleep, we sleep. It don't matter what you're doing. You could be jackhammering in the next room. That's fine. Jesus was in a dead-to-the-world type of sleep in this place, but how could he get like that? Because I am a deep sleeper. A lot of weird, crazy things can happen around me, and I have no idea. But I can't get into that groove if I go to sleep tense. You know what I'm saying? If I'm already anxious or nervous about something, I can't enter that deep REM because I'm always on alert. So how did Jesus get into this super deep, dead-to-the-world sleep on a boat? Well, because his dad rules the universe. That's why. Why should you and I be able to sleep better? Because our dad rules the universe. Y'all tracking with me? Jesus had no worries. I'm exhausted. I'm falling asleep. That's it. Whatever happens, whatever comes upon me, it's not like my dad didn't see it coming. We'll be all right. That should be our mindset, our heart set, because our God is great and our God is interested in protecting us. It says this, and they went and woke him. They're freaking out, saying, Master, Master, we are perishing. Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? Save us, Lord. That's called a rebuke. Jesus is fast asleep. Now he's got guys all up in his face. I can't believe it. You're a terrible leader. What are you doing? Don't we care? Why are you sleeping at a time like this? And they're all shouting and screaming at the Son of God. Is that a wise choice? <laughs> Not really. But how often are we doing that, right? When's the last time you screamed out in your heart, God, don't you care that I have cancer? God, don't you care that my marriage has fallen apart? Seriously? This is your leadership everything's a mess. Yeah, I'm going to lose my job, and then when I lose my job, then I'm not going to have anything to provide for my family. And what, you don't care about my family? Is that the deal? Is that what kind of leader you are? Is that what kind of shepherd you are? I got problems here, and you don't seem to be tracking on it. What is wrong with you? What, you're now going to go to sleep at a time like this? It is chaos here, man. I'm in serious danger. I could even look, and the Bible would say I'm in danger. And you don't seem to care. Well... And he awoke. Shocker. (laughs) And the first thing he says to him is, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose, rebuked the wind and the raging waves, and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And they ceased, and there was great calm. Now you look like an idiot. You were all amped, adrenaline, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden, everything settled. You're like, ah, Shoot. (sighs) Okay, there's some weird stuff in that line, right? What did he do? He rises up, looks out, and goes, shut it down. Boom, everything stops. Whoa, what? It's the exact same phrase. This is what it says in Greek. Muzzle yourself and stay shut. Right? We're not doing this anymore. And you're like, Whoa, the wind's like, sorry. <laughs> the, the, the waves are like, It was the wind's fault, they stirred me up. I don't know what's going on. Uh, why is he talking to inanimate objects as if they're personalities? I understand if you talk to demons like this. As a matter of fact, it's the same phrase in Mark one twenty five about the man in the synagogue with a demon. Same phrase, muzzle yourself, keep it shut, and do what I tell you to do. Same phrase. Why are we talking to wind and waves? So we have two options, right? Either this is the demonically inspired storm. Literally all the demons are like, woo! and they're splashing things, and they're trying to get everything going. And it's possible. The demons can manipulate nature, and that's very likely Jesus could have checked it and said, guys, shut it down. They're like, sorry. gets quiet. Or... You have the king of creation engaging with his creation as if it is a personality. In the same way he talks about it and he says, mountain, I want you to move. And he starts talking to his creation. Why? Because the Bible says that everything in the entire reality and universe is held together by him. He's the glue of reality. That means at all times what you call, well, that's just a cycle of nature. No, that's Jesus being consistent. You know what I mean? Jesus is the one feeding the deer. Jesus is the one feeding the birds. Jesus is the one helping them to build their nest. He's the one that makes the dew sit out in the morning. He's the one that makes sure what happens through the drought seasons and what happens through the rainy seasons. He is constantly managing his universe to the nth degree. And then some days he goes, boy, shut it down. We're not doing that today. Creation says, yes, sir. And they're down. That's likely. What is this. Oh, real quick. Do, do I need to go over kind of the uh, refrigerator magnet version of this? Do I need to go? Th- okay, here we go. Ready? This is for, uh, for those of you that are like, I don't really get it. Okay, here you go. There are storms in life. Jesus calms our storms of life. Yeah? I mean, we've all heard this devotion like 42,000 times. I'm trying to keep moving on. Here's the deal. If Jesus is in control of the storm, he can control the storm in you and all that stuff, right? I mean, that's kind of the obvious one here. Jesus is trying to let you know that we can live more peaceful lives because of who he is. And that he's in control, yeah? All right. Let's keep moving on. It says this. Then he said to them, Okay, now where, what position are they in right now? They were just screaming at him. They were just afraid for their lives. They still have adrenaline going through their system. But now all of a sudden they saw this radical m- miracle. And everything is dead calm. And they're like, Ugh! And then Jesus lays into them. Why are you so cowardly afraid? That's the word. Why are you such cowards? Do you, where is your faith? Have you still no faith? Guys, I get it. We haven't been together that long. But you've seen me do some pretty freaky stuff. You know I'm in control. I cast out demons. I heal when I want to heal. I do everything that I want to do. Man, I can raise people from the dead. And you're still questioning me. You don't get it. Why are you doubting me? Why is it so hard for you to understand who I am? Well, I guess they didn't expect that kind of rebuke, right? They were like, I don't, Peter, I'm the, and they were filled with great fear. Yeah, when the son of God yells back, it's nerve wracking. (laughs) The word is terrified in the presence of awe-inspiring supernatural power. What are you going to do? I mean, that's so weird and so bizarre and so strong. You're just going to cower, right? And they marveled, saying to one another, who then is this? What sort of man is this? That he commands even wind and waves, and they obey him. I don't know. What sort of man is this? I think he's the son of God. I think he's the king, Jesus. I think he is the one to be worshipped. I think that he is our God. Yeah. Let's look at the next story flip it over to this one then they sailed this is possibly the end of this story it may be a different day and if it's the same story it means all this is happening at night which makes it way creepier by the way could be another day whatever they're sailing to the exact same region they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes or the Gadarenes now which one is it One, one commentator or excuse me one gospel writer says one thing one says the other do we care no we don't let's move on which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out of the boat on land, immediately two demon-possessed men met him, coming out of the tomb so fierce that no one could pass by that way. One of the men with an unclean spirit was from the city, but now for a long time he had worn no clothes. He had not lived in a house, but among the tombs. No one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain, for he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. That word is from taming a wild animal. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was continually screaming with intensity and cutting himself with stones. Can we all agree this dude's messed up? Now notice one gospel writer says there was two men. The other gospel writer said there was one man. Why? Because there was two men that approached. One guy took the lead and Jesus engaged with the one guy. I don't know if the other dude bailed and ran. I don't know if he kind of went along with it. He was just like second in command guy. I don't know. But he's not mentioned again. So we're going to focus on this one guy. All I want you to see, and by the way, I've taught more on this story than perhaps any other gospel story in the New Testament outside of salvation in Jesus. Why? Because I think it's incredibly powerful. I think it is one of the most powerful stories of transformation and hope ever. But because I've taught on it so many times, I have to take a different attack on it so as to not bore you. This time I'm going to try to be more mature. Okay, which means it's more boring, but I look like an adult. Let's talk about the naked demon guy. (laughs) Know what I'm saying? He gets out on the boat. Yeah! And some guy comes freaking out. (laughs) Like, what in the world? All the disciples are like, on guard. You know, they don't even have a sword, but that's all right. Everyone's like, ah! and he's screaming and yelling and this is not just freaky this is serious dangerous guy this is i break chains this is i break shackles and pieces this is insanity he's cutting himself every day he can't even live in a house he has to be exiled in a tomb isolated with only the darkest place this man is not only at the end of his rope his rope's way over there it's terrible and what I want you to see, the only major point I want you to see in this, is this is Satan's will concerning you. If the devil had his wish, this is what all of us would be. The Bible says that he has come to seek, kill, and what? Destroy. Destroy. He will nullify you, if nothing else. He will shut you down. He will get you locked in busyness. He will do natural warfare. But what he wants to do to you is this. He wants to isolate you, destroy you, mar the image of God in you, wreck your life, reduce you down to suicide. His goal for you is torment. The only reason why we are sitting in this room in our somewhat rightful mind is because of the power of the Holy Spirit restraining it. The only reason why we are not as messed up as this dude is because Jesus said so. So we do not have some cocky, arrogant, man, that guy must have been messed up. I bet you played with a Ouija board when he was eight and blah, 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 right? (laughs) This guy's in bad shape, really bad. You're going to find out how bad here in a second. When he saw Jesus from afar, he ran, cried out, and fell down before him. Now, is this the demons falling down or the dude falling down? I have no idea. But he ran and fell down. And behold, seriously, check this out. They cried out with a loud voice, What have you to do with us, Jesus, O Son of the Most High God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? I beg you, I assure you by God, do not torment me. Well, that was a different response. You think they're a little nervous? I want you to soak in what it looks like when a demon comes head to head with Jesus why are they so scared because when we see Jesus we see pale white guy with wa- blue eyes who speaks in a British accent on TV is <laughs> always like children and you're like I could beat you at ping pong you know it's, it's just I mean he's, and he's always sad he always has the, the look children you know what demons see demons see the king of kings lord of lords written on his thigh they see him coming out with a sword they see that when he swings that thing there's going to be bloodshed everywhere they see him as the master the commander of the army of god they see him that when he shouts everything melts they know who he is as a matter of fact in the gospel they seem to be the only ones that know who he is And so all he has to do is look at them sideways, and they're like, whoa, (laughs) right? Like, don't look at me, don't look at me, right? (laughs) They are scared to death of Jesus, because they know who he is. Now, why were they so freaked out? It says, for he was saying, that is imperfect tense in Greek. That means more than once. Jesus was going, get out, and he's like, get out, get out, and he's arguing. Now, is that real? He kept saying to him, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles, but he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Why does Jesus need to take more than one time to cast this guy out? Seriously, the, the demon's arguing. He's like a sticky one, right? He's like, I'm not coming out, blah, 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 blah. He's arguing with Jesus? Is that legit? Okay, here's what we need to understand about this story. It is a teaching lesson. At any moment, Jesus wants him out, he's out. Why is he letting him banter back and forth? Because the disciples are learning by the dialogue. Okay, that's the only reason why he's there. The whole idea is the power of Jesus can cast at any moment. There's no problem here. As a matter of fact, the disciples couldn't cast a demon out, and Jesus said, oh, faithless generation. He actually rebuked them for that. He's like, no, 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 we can get these out. You're gone, buddy. But this one's arguing back and forth. Jesus then asked him, "What is your name?" Why did he ask him that? I think, and this is my personal opinion. So if you have your own opinion, I get it. You're wrong. I'm right. But whatever. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. That's a, that's a joke. This, the Bible's not clear on this, but I need to, I need to tell you my opinion on how we run things here. This is one of the most improperly used passages in the New Testament when it comes to dealing with demons. There is a view out there that the only way to cast a demon out is to get his name because Jesus did that. That's baloney. The only way to cast a demon out is for Jesus to go get out. That's the only way to cast a demon out. It's not going to be some magic superstition. I got the right words. I got the right magical symbol, right? Because here's the deal. If you need to get the demon's name, what does it describe Satan as? The father of lies. Don't you think he probably taught his demons some pretty good lying? So you're going to be like, what's your name? He's like, Bob. And you're like, Bob, I command you to get out. He's like, sorry, it's Rick. What? (laughs) Okay, it's not like you're getting accurate information anyway. He's lying through his teeth. So this whole business about let's get into dialogue, he's smarter than you. Demons are more brilliant than you. This is what we need to understand about demons. We should be scared of them if we don't have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, don't you dare go head to head with a demon. They're bigger, badder, stronger, faster, everything than you. What do you need? Jesus. What matters? Jesus. It's always Jesus. And when Jesus walks in behind you and goes, get out, the demons like, I'm out, right? Why? Because they're scared of him, not you. And you're empowered by the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is like, dude, don't even start with me. And the demons are like, I'm out. Right? Why? Because the Holy Spirit is dwelling within you. If you are trying to run around and play exorcist, it's not going to end well for you. If God doesn't ask you to do it, don't walk into it. But if God tells you to do it, God is behind you, He's doing all the power, then you walk in with confidence and boldness. You see what I'm saying? That's called a side tangent. Jesus asked him, what is your name? And he said, my name is Legion, for we are many. Awesome. Awesome. If you ever ask someone their name and they answer in the plural, (laughs) they're not your friend. (laughs) So what's your name? We are wealthy. (laughs) What? What do you mean, we? I don't care. You know, I mean, that's just weird. A legion is 5,600 to 6,000 soldiers in a regiment. Does that mean he had 6,000 demons? It does not. It means he had a lot. and For many demons had entered him, and they begged Jesus earnestly not to send them out of the country, not to command them to depart into the abyss. Where's the abyss? Okay, notice a couple things right here. The demons know where they're going to end up ultimately, right? Are we all clear on that? They're like, no, 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 you're not going to hijack me before the appointed time, right? Because I know at some point I'm going to end up in the lake of fire. I get that. However, I don't want to jump there now. Okay? I mean, can we just stay this off a little bit? They know where they're ultimately going to end up. But here's another important thing. And a commentary said this. And I went, it's brilliant. I want you to lock this in their mind. The demons don't know Jesus' next move. They are scared out of their mind because they don't know what he's going to do next. They're not ahead of him. Jesus is like, I can do anything I want. You have no idea which way I'm going to go. Why? He's the one in authority. The demons were like, oh, uh, I don't know how it's going to go. Uh, keep begging with him. I keep trying to, right? They're panicking. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside at some distance from them. How do we know this isn't a Jewish area? <laughs> right, because pigs aren't kosher. Jews don't raise pigs. All right, especially 2,000 of them. This is Gentile farmers raising him for the Decapolis area, which is a Greek area for their meat market. So it was kind of a big um, industrious place uh, for herding. Now, a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside at some distance from them. And the demons begged him to let them enter the pigs, saying, if you cast us out. Notice they still are holding out hope. So like we can just let this one go, man. I mean, we can just we can go back to the tombs. It's cool. If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. Let us enter them. The pigs are like, what? No! What in the? So he gave him permission and said to him, yeah, go ahead. Okay, that's weird. All this is weird. The demons are begging with him to go in. Okay, here's a quick phrase that you need to memorize. Demons don't like being homeless. There you go. That was it. Demons don't like being homeless. Uh, every time, the Bible says that when they're cast out, they go around through dry places seeking for a home. And when they get back into that home, if they have to return to the first home, they'll bring six more. And so now there's seven. Your condition is worse than the beginning. But the bottom line is demons want a host. Why? Probably so they can tear it down. That's really their goal. They want to be somewhere to cause destruction because it's boring to just sit there and play Parcheesi on the side. They want to make sure that somehow God is hurting and that his creation is being deformed so they wanted to go into the pigs now you find out at the end of the story it was kind of a weird choice because they ended up kind of homeless anyway i don't know if they saw that coming but whatever jesus knew but here's the other bizarre part about it there's no animosity there's no argument by jesus it's almost like he's kind of like eh, all right that's cool why are you letting them go i mean if they're so scary and there's so much damage and there's wickedness and darkness jesus why wouldn't you just go abyss 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 and just take them all out i mean man the world would be more peaceful why wouldn't jesus do that because he ain't done with them yet they're still serving a purpose in the plan of god the minute they're done they're done that's it jesus has no worries this is not a battle this is not a fear. This is not how am I going to get them out. This is Jesus knowing at any nanosecond I can drop every single one of them into the pit. So they're like, can I go? Can I go? Can I cause more disease? Like, All right, that's cool. Go ahead. That's how powerful his authority is. There's no reaction, just control. And it says this. Then the demons and unclean spirits came out of the man and entered the pigs and behold, seriously, check this out, The whole herd, numbering about 2,000, rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned in the sea. Well, that's weird. Did the demons die in the water? I can't swim. No. No, they're all set free. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told everything, especially what happened to the demon-possessed men in the city and in the country. And behold... The city, all the city went out to see what had happened to me, Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, the one who had had the legion sitting there at the feet of Jesus clothed and in his right mind. This is why I tell the story over and over and over that line right there. This is one of the greatest stories of transformation and hope in the entire Bible. Here's the, why it matters to you. What's got you down? What's messing you up? What's your addiction? What's your problem, right? What's your wickedness? Because I can tell you, no matter how messed up you are, I bet you're not as messed up as this guy. You're like, well, I don't know, dude, I may have a demon. You may have a demon. You may not have 2,000 demons. Whatever you got going on in your life, this guy is light years worse than you. And by the end of his interaction with Jesus, where is he? Calm, peaceful, in his right mind, sitting at his feet like a disciple. That's the power of Jesus. That's the authority of Jesus. That means that every single one of us has hope in any and every situation. That means that there's no pit that Jesus can't lift you out of. There is no addiction he cannot break. There is no damage that cannot be restored. That's our Jesus. It says this, and they were afraid. That's a weird reaction. Those who had seen it described to them what had happened to the demon-possessed men and to the pigs and how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding region of the Gerasenes asked him to leave. For they were seized with great fear. They begged him to leave their region. What kind of reaction is that? Oh, give us back demon guy. What? Well, you're weird. This is freaky. I don't want this. I don't want any part of this. You want Jesus, the guy that just shut down the demons and made everything peaceful, you want him to go away. Why would you have a reaction like that? Why would they have a reaction like that? I don't know. Why do we have a reaction like that? Because we've been doing that to God a lot lately, right? God's trying to point out something in your life. You're like, God, just leave it. Leave it alone. I'm trying to heal you. I don't need your healing. I'm fine. I get it. I got some issues. Whatever. Don't keep getting in my face and I'm always feeling guilty about it and wrecked by it. You know what? I know you want to heal me. I know you want what's best for me. I'm just telling you, I don't want it. You ever done that? How about the fact that they didn't like it because it was weird. It was creepy. It was scary. And they weren't in control. Nobody likes being out of control. They do not want anything happening that they can't second guess and put in a category and figure it out. And they're like, whoa, that's is weird. I want nothing to do with weird. You can't have any weird because that's not God. Real quick. God's weird. Bible's weird. Deal with it. Now... The other reason that they want him to leave is that it costs them something. I don't know how much 2,000 pigs is, but dang, that's a lot of revenue that just went into the water. And they don't want Jesus costing them anything. Who knows? Next time it could be the big sheep massacre. You know what I'm saying? They don't know. As long as Jesus is around, they may have to keep costing themselves. And nobody wants to give out anything for Jesus. And so they said, I want you out. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him. But Jesus did not permit him, but sent him away saying, return to your home to your friends. Declare how much the Lord God has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So he went away proclaiming throughout the whole city and in the Decapolis how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. So Jesus got into the boat and went home. There's a lot of begging in the story. Demons begged that they wouldn't get cast out because they know the authority of Jesus. The townspeople begged that he would leave because they didn't want to be uncomfortable or caused any problems. The man who had been healed begged to be at the side of Jesus because it was the only thing that mattered. There's a lot of begging going. A lot of different reactions to Jesus. Where would you fall in this story? Here's the saddest thing about it. There is no biblical information that he ever went back. You're right. You can do like the Israelites did. We are too scared of God's voice. We don't want God to talk to us anymore. And so God said, fine, I'll talk through Moses. Then they were mad that he only talked through Moses. You're right. You can shut him down and God will go, fine, I'm out. That's cool. And then you're like, why is it so dry? Why will you not speak to me? Okay, why my prayer? He's like, dude, you told me you didn't want anything to do with me. In my opinion, this is sad. Let's finish with that last story. I only have a few points and we'll close out. Matthew nine thirty-two. It's super short. Matthew nine thirty-two through thirty-four. It says this. Totally different day, totally different scenario. As they were going away, behold. Seriously, check this out. A demon-oppressed man who was mute was brought to him. When the demon had been cast out, the mute man spoke, and the crowds marveled, saying, Never was anything like this seen in Israel. Wait, 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 what? Nobody's ever seen demons cast out before? Oh, they've seen a ton of demons cast out. So what was different about this one? Superstition and magic. What do I mean? There was a belief in the Jewish view that the only way to cast out a demon was that the person had to confess that they wanted the demon out, but if you're mute, sorry, you can never get rid of your demon. Now, this is what's funny about how we make up our new little rules and plans, and a lot of times we make up the plans and rules based on what worked or didn't work. Well, the problem with that is the demons can mess with that system, so that's not awesome. Here's what Jesus said. I'm sorry, your rules say what? Anyway, whatever, that's stupid. And he cast the demon out just like that. And they're like, whoa! And he's like, come on, seriously? That was that big of a deal? But notice the next line. But the Pharisee said he casts out demons by the prince of demons. What? Oh, I see. It looked weird and demonic, so it must be demonic. Uh, No. That was full-on power of God. Here's something we need to understand. Something that looks the same doesn't mean it's from the same source. Something that looks the same doesn't mean it's from the same source. For example... Moses is before Pharaoh, and Moses goes, ha-ha, by the power of God, my stick turns into a snake. Boom, snakes moving around on the ground, which snakes are creepy, don't get me wrong. I actually like them, but my wife told me to say that. Sure enough, what do the men of the black arts, the sorcerers, do? They throw down theirs, and they become what? Snakes. There's a bunch of snakes on the ground. Does one snake have like wings and holiness and a little halo around, or do they all just look like snakes? They all look like snakes, and actually they're from completely different sources. Moses turns the Nile to blood. The sorcerers do the exact same thing. And it goes on and on. Are you telling me that Satan doesn't counterfeit the things of God? Of course he does. You think that he's not going to try to get territory? You think that he's not going to try to go, hey, back off. This is my stuff. God's like, you know what? This is my stuff. Get out of my way. And when God does what God does, he gets the glory. That's how it has to go. And you go, but it all looks the same. How do we figure it out? The Bible has given us ways to discern and test the spirits and figure it out. That's why we have to do a little bit more homework as opposed to just panicking. But it's unfortunate that these guys attributed everything to Satan because later Jesus got in their face and said, excuse me, are you blaspheming the Holy Spirit? We've got a problem here. Don't mess with my stuff. What was the point of the whole message? You're safe. That was it. That's the message. King Jesus has the authority over anyone and everyone. He can do what he wants, when he wants, how he wants. And no one can shut him down. Our God is great. Our God is mighty. And he can rescue you. He can protect you. He can do anything that needs to be done. You are not, as a child of God, just up for grabs. Do bad things happen to us? Yes, does God redeem them? Yes. Is life hard? Yes. Are you completely unshielded? No. Our God is watching over you when you sleep. Our God knows those are his, who are his. Jesus said, I have lost none that were given to me. Except the one doomed to destruction. The only reason Judas got out is because he wasn't in. So you know what? We're not dealing with him. I protect my own. If you are a child of God, he has promised you I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Amen? Amen. Let's close in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you. Thank you for a beautiful walk through your word. Thank you, Lord, that you would open up our eyes and allow us to see. Thank you, God, for guiding us through the craziness of this life. Lord, we can't figure it all out. Everything looks so confusing to us. But, Lord, it's very clear to you. So I ask, Lord, that you'd open up our eyes, open up our minds, open up our hearts to receive and understand what you're doing in this place, what you're doing in our lives, what kind of changes you're trying to bring. Lord, if there's things that we have always allowed to be holding us down and keeping us trapped, God, would you break open those cell doors and allow us to walk out into freedom? We love you, Lord, and we give you all the praise in Jesus' name, amen.